The title of my message is Gifted Yet Majorly Flawed. What flawed here is F-L-A-W-E-D. To have flaws in your life. But it's possible to be gifted yet. My microphone is losing signal. But before we go into the word, I want us to pray. Father, we thank you for your word. The Bible says the entrance of thy word brings light and understanding to the simple. And so, Father, we approach your word reverently. Your word says that you've exalted your word above your name. And that's what we do in this place today. Exalt your word above everything. Your word is ultimate authority. Your word is the thing by which we build our lives. Your word is what determines what we do. It is a measuring stick. We thank you, Lord, that your word is released in this place. For you said in your word, you sent forth your word and healed them. And delivered them out of all their destruction. May your word come with authority. May your word come with power. May every life be changed today. I pray, Lord, that hearts are receptive, minds are awake. I thank you, Lord, that nobody's going to sleep on me today. We give you praise and honor and glory. Let the Spirit of God move mightily upon the word today. The Bible says you went with them confirming your word with signs following. So, Father, confirm truth today. For you do not confirm error. Confirm truth. And I thank you, Lord, that your word will change us today from glory unto glory. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone shout your loudest amen. amen. Praise God. Gifted yet majorly flawed. Gifted. Everyone say gifted. Yet majorly flawed. So how can someone be so gifted, yet so many? Think about that. How can someone be so gifted, yet so messed up? Allow me to read my message today, if that's okay. How can someone be so gifted, yet so messed up? And I want you to understand that that is the condition of so many people today, they are so gifted, yet filled with so much garbage. They are so gifted, yet with major character defects. And that is the reason why we must emphasize character above gift. I think it's a major error to exalt gift above Character. character must be the thing we focus on, especially now that we live in the last seconds of the last days. Because a lot of people are deceived to think it is about the gift. But I, I'm here to tell you, it is not just about the gift. You see, the gift where only character can keep you. And the higher the gift takes you, the deeper you fall. If you don't have the character to keep you, where the gift takes you. Are you listening to me? In the book of 2 Kings chapter 5, you don't need to turn there. I'm just going to reference this particular story. 2 Kings chapter 5, the Bible talks about Naaman. The Bible says Naaman was a Syrian military commander. This man had it all going for him. The Bible actually says that by his hand, the Lord had given so many victories to the nation of Syria. So this man was on top of the echelon of leadership and influence in the nation of Syria. 
He rubbed shoulders with the who is who in Syria and also with people in the neighboring countries. He was such an influential man. He was such a man that was on top of his game. He was such a man everyone respected. Even the king had so much respect. He was such a man that had won so much respect and accolade. But the Bible says he was a leper. That is the only time I don't want but in the story. But in this case, the Bible says this man was a leper with all the victory, with all the accolades, with all the achievements that he had achieved with his position and ranking in society. The Bible says this man was what? See, leprosy was unforgiving. No matter who you are or the conquest or the laurels you've won, leprosy on your body made you lower than a dog. So this very powerful man with all his achievements and accolades had a long or lifelong stigma that nobody could deal with. See, all the wealth and all the influence of Syria could not rid him of this disease that shames him. And this disease will eventually cause his fingers, his toes, and his body parts to begin to fall, to fall out. That's what leprosy does. Nose and body parts and fingers and ears will just begin to fall out. So very soon, this very wealthy, this very influential, this very uh, top guy in society is going to become a, a byword. It's going to become a shadow of himself. Anybody following my, my story so far? So he goes to Elisha. He goes to Elisha, the man of God. He goes to Elisha, the prophet. And Elisha would not even come out to meet with this man. And to even make matters worse, Elisha told him to go deep seven times in the Jordan. Number one, Elisha would not come out to meet him face to face. Number two, Elisha said, go deep seven times in the Jordan. And so this man got so upset. Does he not understand the caliber of person that has come to see him? Does he not understand my status in society? Does he not understand that I am the commander? Does he not understand that even the king has so much respect for me? Does he not know who I am? Listen to me. For you to be totally and completely free, humility is the key. He was expecting Elisha to come out and wave his hand and maybe do like a magic thing over him. And then suddenly the leprosy would leave. But Elisha did not even come out to the, to the door to even see him. Guess what? Elisha sent somebody to go tell him to go dip himself seven times in the river Jordan. And that infuriated this commander. But he needed to be humble because he wanted to be free. And the Bible says he was so furious and his servants had to come to him and convince him that, look, in actual fact, they called him father. They said, what if he had told you to do something harder? Wouldn't you have done it? So his boys were able to convince him, and he went to the river Jordan, and he humbled himself, and he dipped himself seven times. And the Bible says he came out of the Jordan after dipping the seventh time, and his skin looked like that of a little baby. Are you listening to me? So humility, you've got to get off your high horse if you want to see the hand of God move in your life. Are you listening to me? 
The title of my message, like I said, is Gifted Yet Majorly Flawed. And I wanted to use this reference with the case of Naaman because I want you to see how somebody can be so gifted. Somebody can be so uh, popular. Somebody can be so charismatic. Somebody can be so in leadership. Somebody can be so on top of their game. And everything seemed to work for them except there's something in their life that you don't know about. Somebody listening to what I'm saying. You see, the things that plague many are not the ones everyone sees. They are those hidden heart issues that only God sees. The anxiety, the fear, the insecurity, the pride, the lust, like Naaman, it will soon begin to eat up the plan, the success, the dream, the future, the marriage, the relationship. You see, it is those internal issues of your life. That eat up your destiny. It is those internal issues of your life that nobody sees. But you know and God knows. It is those things that you do behind closed doors. It is those things that you don't want nobody to see. You might look good on the outside. You might look like the best thing since sliced bread. But it is those things on the inside that tend to destroy the dream. They are the things that tend to destroy the marriage. They are the things that tend to destroy the relationship, the future that you have in God. It is not God that stops a man. It is the man that stops himself. It is not God that hinders this purpose for the man's life. It is the man that stops God's purpose for his life. Are you listening to me? And I'm bringing this message today because I did a study. I ran a diagnosis. On the church at Corinth. And the reason I did. Is because I want to see what happened in the church at Corinth. And when you study the church at Corinth. You will discover that this was a gifted church. Yet. Flawed. My message is how can you be so gifted yet so flawed. How can you be so gifted yet you have all this stuff that you're battling with on the inside. You sit here this morning are you listening to me. And you know what I'm talking about because as I speak. The hand of the spirit of God is pointing at the thing that you struggle with. Yet you're so gifted. When everyone looks at you on the outside you look like ma you are great. But there is something that's taking place on the inside. There is a war. There is a battle. There is something you're fighting. There's something you're fighting to overcome. Just like Naaman. Fighting to overcome leprosy with all his ability. With all his victories. With all the battles that he has won. And people will look at him from the outside. And they'll look at Naaman and see Naaman as a great man. The man who rubbed shoulders with who is who in the society. The man who was so influential. The man who when he spoke, everyone listened. But there was something in his life. And it was called leprosy. And nobody could read him of leprosy except God. And people are in the position today where nobody can help them but God. And if you want God to help you, you've got to humble yourself. Because the Bible says God resists the proud. But God gives grace only to the humble. It is when you get off your high horse. It is when you get off of that place of, you know, I am the man or I am the girl. That is when God can step in and God can help you. Because he gives grace only to the humble. I'm preaching good, say amen. amen. So I did a study of the church at Corinth and I discovered that this was a gifted church. Gifted with spiritual gifts of tongues and prophecy and interpretation. Yet this church was so flawed. It was uniquely different from all the other churches that Paul planted. It was in Corinth. 
It was a, Corinth was a business hub. It was a melting pot. It was a cosmopolitan city. You can compare it to the big cities of today like Istanbul and Paris and New York City and uh, name them. Los Angeles, City of Angels, and London, and Tokyo. Name them. Big cities, correct? Pardon? Kinshasa, and Abuja, and Nairobi. Come on now, say amen. amen. Hallelujah. So you can compare, you can compare Corinth to the big cities of today. A cosmopolitan city, a, a, a melting. Think about East, Istanbul is a melting pot. Right? Istanbul is very multi, multicultural. People from all over the world. That's exactly how Corinth was. Are you listening to me? Maybe not Lagos or Abuja, but... but uh, or Nairobi, or Kinshasa, like Paris, like London, pardon, Jamena, where's that, in Chad, everybody think their city is a melting pot, like Jamena, in Chad, <laughs> where else, huh, where? The Philippines. Where in the Philippines? Manila. Addis Ababa. <laughs> Interesting. But you see, there in Corinth, they also had the temple of Aphrodite. Aphrodite was known as the goddess of fertility, the goddess of love. And back in those days, people would come from the then world, from all over the world, all over the Roman Empire... To patronize the 1,000 female prostitutes that were dedicated to Aphrodite, the goddess of love. So you can see that people had different reasons why they came. Some came for commerce. And others came for pleasure. And this city was such a sexually vile city. And it's important to understand the background of this city because it was this city that Paul the Apostle went to. And when Paul went to this city, he brought out of this city men and women who came to know Christ. But I need you to also understand that when people come out from a place like this, what they have come out from will continue to stare them in the face. What they have come out from will continue to tempt them on a daily basis. So there was a possibility that these guys that have just been brought out of the world, the Bible says we are in the world, but we are not of the world. These guys that have just been brought out of the world, still in the world, but brought out of the system of the world, are constantly faced, constantly dealing with the temptation of slipping back into the life of lust, into the life of immorality, into the life that they once lived before Paul the Apostle came. How many of you know that no Christian here is immune to temptation? Come on now, talk to me. How many of you know that on a daily basis you are tempted? You are tempted to go back to where you came from. Is that correct? But you know, some of us just decided that we are not going back. We've come out of bondage, we've come out of corruption, and we refuse to go back to bondage and to corruption. 
If I'm talking to you, then shout him amen. amen. You see, it's a choice to serve God. It's a choice to live for God. It's a choice to overcome temptation. Yes, there is God's grace, but there is choice that we've got to make on daily basis. If you will live to the glory of God, you've got to wake up every morning with an understanding that I've got to make a choice to serve God. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. There is a choice that you've got to make. I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life that you and your sons will live. Tell somebody there is a choice that I've got to make. Come on, say it like you mean there's a choice that I have to make. Every single day, we make choices. And the choices will make determine the outcome of our lives. Every single day, we choose to serve God. Yes, there is grace. But Paul said, though the grace of God was upon me, I did not frustrate that grace. You've got to understand there is a possibility to frustrate the grace of God. People talk about grace but have no understanding of grace. You can frustrate the grace of God. Therefore, we choose not to frustrate the grace of God, but to cooperate with the grace of God that we might see the life that God has called us to live come to fruition. Can someone shout praise God? So this was such a vile city. This was such a hard place to live. Because right in front of you is everything that God has brought you out from. And you have to face them on daily basis. But you have to make the choice that I'm going to live for God. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. When you read that in Amplified Version, it says where sin abounds, grace superabounds. There is grace to live the life that God has called us to live. Come on now, say praise God. I said, there is grace to live the life that God has called us to live. I, I just wanted to give you that one for free. Because the way some of you are looking at me, it seems like I'm just here breaking your life apart. And just showing you by the Holy Spirit what you are dealing with and the flaws in your life. Just like Naaman and just like the church at Corinth. And that's what I endeavor to do. I really want to show you the stuff that I discovered as I did this diagnosis on the church at Corinth. To show you the stuff that I saw in the church. And these things that we see in the church at Corinth. We also see in so many churches all over the world. And we see them here too. So gifted. Yet so majorly flawed. And it's only by the word of God that we can bring correction. So let me switch over to teaching. I was preaching for the last 10 minutes. Now let me teach. I was preaching for the last 10 minutes, so let me teach. So as I ran this diagnosis on the church at Corinth, here are the things I found out from this very gifted church. I want to say very gifted church. The first place I want you to see is the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 so that you don't say we didn't read the Bible today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm going to read verse 10 to verse number 13. And I, I want to read this from the Amplified Classic. Have you found 1 Corinthians 1? Because of time, I'm just going to read. He said, but I, I, I urge you. Brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
that all of you be in perfect harmony and full agreement in what you say. And that there be no dissensions or factions or divisions among you. But that you be perfectly united in your common understanding and in your opinions and judgment. For it has been made clear to me, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions and wranglings and factions among you. What I mean is this. That each one of you either says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, that's Peter, or I belong to Jesus. Is Christ the Messiah divided into parts? Was Paul crucified on behalf of you, or were you baptized into the name of Paul? So as I read this book all over again, like I said, doing a diagnosis. I began to see that the problem the church had, number one, party spirit. I belong to Paul. I belong to Peter. I belong to Apollos. I belong to Jesus. Party spirit. Faction. Division. I'm here to tell you, members of the river at Istanbul, we are one family. I said, we are one family. There is no room for division here. I belong to Pastor Hamdi. I belong to Pastor Layla. I belong to Pastor Godwell. I belong to Pastor Priscilla. There is nothing like that here. This ministry and this church is one family. We do not look at race. We do not look at color. We do not look at your education. We look at one thing and one thing alone. And that is the blood of Jesus. In Christ, we are one. There is no room for faction. There is no room for cliques. There is no room for division. That amen is very weak in the house this morning. So as I began to look at this very gifted church, I began to see that they had a major flaw. Or they had major flaws in their lives. How can you say I belong to Peter? How can you say I belong to Apollos? How can you say I belong to Christ? I mean, there was such division in the church. And Paul writing to them, he began to rebuke them and to correct them that this ought not to be. We cannot have a church that is so divided. I believe with all of my heart that this church flows in the spirit. But it is one thing to flow in the spirit but it's a whole different thing to cultivate the character of the Holy Spirit. Did you hear what I just said? It's one thing to flow in the Spirit. It's one thing to roll on the floor. It's one thing to have the fire of God fall. But it's a whole different thing to have that change you into the man, into the woman that God wants you to be. We should not open up ourselves to division. A house that is divided against itself cannot stand. We cannot open ourselves up to, I prefer this and I prefer that. We've got to understand that the church of Jesus Christ in this place, in this part of the world, is one. You are my brother in the Lord. You are my sister in the Lord. And that is the way we must say it. And that is what we've got to embrace. Can someone say amen? 
You have a totally different way of approaching things. I also have a totally different way of approaching things. But that does not change the fact that in Jesus we are one. So no room for faction. No room for division. No room for party spirit. You look at the body of Christ today, it is for the most part, I'm not blaming the body of Christ, but really for the most part, the body of Christ is fighting each other. This one is attacking the other one. This one believes that he has the complete revelation of God. And the other guy does not really know much. And then everyone now has a social media, uh, so, social media, uh, social media page. You know, and, and then they attack people on their page. We are not called to attack people. We're not called to judge people. We're not called to be the, the watchdog of the church. We're called to walk in love. We're called to walk in unity. Jesus said, by this shall all men know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. People do not know you are my disciple by exposing the weakness of other people. People know you are my disciple when you cover their weakness and when you walk in love. People are so quick to expose other people's nakedness. People are so quick to expose other people's faults. People are so quick to expose other people's failure. But we must learn to walk in love. The Bible says love covers a multitude of offense. Tell your neighbor, I'm your brother. I'm your sister. That's if you're a boy. If you're a girl, say, I'm your sister. Can someone say amen? amen? Paul said, it was reported to me that there is division among you. And one of the things that we've been dealing with in this place for a long time is cliques. We do not want cliques. We don't want this group divided against that group. We've got to be one. Are you listening to me? We've got to be one, all of us. No cliques. Some of you are so cliquish. I want you to stop it. I'm here speaking to you today as your pastor. And I'm here to rebuke anyone that has been cliquish. Stop the cliques. It's not helping the church. It is not helping your neighbor. The Bible said to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Stop being cliquish. I belong to this. I belong to that. That has to stop. I rebuke it today in Jesus' name. And the spirit behind it, I cast it out of this ministry. Break out of that. And come into the family of God. Because in the church, we are one. How many of you understand that we are going to one heaven? How many of you understand that when we get to heaven, you're not going to say, no, I don't want to be a member of the Kenyan community. I don't want to be a member of the Congolese community. I don't want to be a member of the Filipino community. I, all, these, all these Nigerians. I, you know, I hear some stuff sometimes, and, and I can see the flesh speaking. A spiritual man don't speak like that. I don't want to be a part of all these people. What do you mean all these people? Who are these people? These are the people that Jesus died for. These are the people that Jesus filled with his spirit. 
Who do you think you are to refer to them as these people? In a negative way. We've got to be one. Tell somebody we've got to be one. In actual fact, we are one. And we must maintain that. And we must do everything within our power to make sure that there is no division, there is no strife, there is no fight within the church. I know you didn't come to hear this message today, but this is what the Lord gave me. So you might shout amen or oh me, but you must shout something this morning. It's either amen or oh me. But let's get rid of this. I say, let's get rid of this. I say, let's get rid of this. I say, let's get rid of this. Men, you can't be looking at women in the church as if they are lower than you. Women are not lower in class. Come on now, say amen. amen. Many, many years ago when Pastor Corey just started this church, one of the African guys came to Pastor, Pastor Rose and said, woman, go get me water from the back. You've heard Pastor Corey say that to us. He told us the story. Woman, go get me water. Don't ever do that. If you do that with my wife, I'm coming after you. I'm going to roast you badly. Woman, go get me water. My wife is not your woman. And no woman in this church is your woman. Men must learn to treat women with respect and honor. Come on now, your amen is weak in the house this morning. Hallelujah. We're going to get rid of the chauvinistic mentality. You can't come around here and treat our women like they are lower than you. Our women are class women. I'm preaching good now. Women are getting excited. Our women are class women. You don't come here also looking for women. And I've told them, if anybody comes look, looking for you, bring the person to me. I'll cast the devil out of the person. Or cast the person out of the devil. I'm preaching it. <laughs> Can someone say amen? amen? So we see party spirit. We see faction. We see division. The Bible says from now on we do not see anyone according to the flesh. We don't look at people according to the flesh. We don't look at them based on their color. There is no racism in the church. There is no room for racism here. There is no room for tribalism here. Amen. There is no room for class. I'm better than you. Who told you that? No room for that. I said no room for that. That leads me to the next thing that I see. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 7. For who separates you from the others as a faction leader? Who makes you superior and sets you apart from another, giving you the preeminence? What have you that was not given to you? Just think about that. Who made you better than other people? 
That is superiority context. Who, think, who made you think you're better than other people? Who told you that lie? What makes you think because you have more money, you're better than other people? What makes you think because you have a university degree, you're better than other people? What makes you think that? What makes you think you're superior? Who sets you on that pedestal? This is wrong. So, so these are the things that Paul began to deal with. Who gave you this mindset? Why do you boast as if what you have was not given to you? Why do you carry yourself as if what you have was not given to you? Can I tell you, whatever you have today was gifted to you. Are you listening to me? It is not just your ability. It's not just your strength. It's not just your wisdom. It's the grace of God. Amen. Come on, say amen. amen. And if we learn to understand and to see the grace of God, then we will be humble. We have to live our lives in such a simple way that people can approach us. We have to live our lives in such a way where everyone can talk to us. You can't be the high and the mighty that nobody can talk to. I like this message. It's an equalizer. Problem number four, number three. We'll be finishing soon. Problem number three. First Corinthians chapter five. I told you I had to read the whole book all over again. And I had to do this, you know, I had to find some things. Because I, I look at the church today here, and, and I look at the church at Corinth. And like I said earlier when I started, don't ever exalt gifts above character. There is need to develop the character of Christ. Every one of us are a work in progress. Nobody has arrived. We are all a work in progress. And because you are a work in progress, you've got to also learn to show grace to other people. Sometimes we tend to just look at people and not look at ourselves. We think that they are bad. But if only you understand where God brought you out from. And if you also understand that you have not arrived, you will learn to show grace to those that are struggling. You see, it is spiritual pride. When you're always pointing your finger at people's sin. It is spiritual pride when you're always pointing your finger at people's mistakes. Always looking at yourself and feeling that you're better than they are. But in actual fact, you are who you are today by the grace of God. And you have no right to judge someone else's servant. They are God's servant. You have no right to judge them. The only right you have is to pray for them. And if for any reason you need to talk to them, then talk to them in love. Go to them. Speak to them face to face. Not behind their back. You're not going to shout on that one. 
Come on now, say amen. amen. If my brother here, this is my brother. This is my blood brother. Don't bother about the color. He is my blood brother. I love him to, till the end. That's how it is. That's how it is. Are we going to ever have some issues? Yes. It will be so wrong for me to think we will never have anything. No, we will have some issues. But we're going to resolve it. We're going to talk about it. We're going to deal with it. And it's going to stay with us. If you know what I mean. We get rid of it, both of us, it's over. We walk out of the room, we hug, we shake hands, and we, hallelujah, you are the best thing. You are a gift to me. And that's it. It's over. It's done with. Preaching good. But some of you will not let it go. You will carry it. You will talk to the next guy. And the next guy. And the next guy. Before you know it, you have spilled your, your poison all over the place. Everyone around you is now so poisoned. The next time they see this man, they hate him and they've never even had anything with him. Is this helping anybody? And when you would leave like this, you hinder yourself. You hinder the blessing. You hinder the grace from working in your life. And you wonder why you are giving and sowing seed and you are not getting any breakthrough. How can you get breakthroughs when you're breaking somebody down? How can you get breakthroughs when you're ruining somebody's life? How do you expect God to honor you when you're not honoring your brother or your sister? Oh, this message is too strong. People can ah, people cannot shout. Oh my God. But I praise God I came with the right word. If I had to meditate on this, did you know how long I've been thinking about this thing? You know how long I've been studying this thing? I had to read the entire book again. So you're listening to the mind of God. Because I'm, I'm certain this is the mind of God. Diagnosis number three. First Corinthians chapter five. Verse 1 to 8. This is the long read. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. Impurity of a sort that is condemned and does not occur even among the heathen. You see, this is crazy. Paul said, even what unbelievers don't do, you guys do. This is, Paul said, these this immorality that's in your church, it's not even done by unbelievers. How dare you bring into the church what unbelievers detest? He says, for a man has his own father's wife. My God, terrible. And you are proud and arrogant. Do you see the attitude of the church? There was immorality in the church, yet the church did not care. Paul said you are proud and you are arrogant. 
You are not even dealing with it. Nobody is even dealing with this problem. You ignore it. You carry yourself in pride and arrogance. It doesn't, listen, I've heard people say, it is my body. The life is my life. I've told you, the life is not your life. The body is not your body. Stop lying to yourself. Stop accepting the lie of the devil that's telling you the body is yours. The body is the temple of the Lord. And the Bible says if you destroy God's temple, God will destroy you. That is the word of God. The body is not your body. The temple is not your temple. The life is not your life. The life was given to you. Thank you for warning me. I know this is not a popular message, but I'll preach it. Uh, it's reported that there is sexual immorality among you, impurity of a sort that is condemned and does not even occur even among the hidden. For a man has his own father's wife, and you are proud and arrogant, and you ought rather to mourn, bow in sorrow and in shame, until the person who has done this shameful thing is removed from your fellowship and your midst. As for my attitude, though I am absent from you in body, I am present in spirit. And I have already decided and passed judgment as if actually present. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, on the man who has committed such a deed, when you and my spirit are met together with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man over to Satan for physical discipline, to destroy carnal loss, which prompted him to incest. That is, that his spirit may yet be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. About the condition of your church, your boasting is not good. Indeed, it is the most unseemly and entirely out of place. Do you not know that just a little leaven will ferment the whole lump of dough? Purge, clean out the old, the old leaven that you may be fresh new dough, still uncontaminated as you are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with leaven of vice and malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of purity, nobility, honor, and sincerity, and unadulterated truth. Now, these are the kind of verses that motivational preachers would skip. It's not an easy text to read. But it's in the Bible. As you can see today, I'm not motivational. <laughs> I'm not even motivating myself. This is, not, this is not motivational at all. But it's good. Because it's the word. And if we want the move of God to remain, we must preach these kind of messages. Amen. When the church 
begins to put sexual sin into segments, the church is in big problem. People get caught in sexual sin. And they come up with, there was no intercourse, I only touched. Like touching is good. We were only touching. So if all you did was touch, does that justify you? Does that mean it is not sexual sin? Look at me. Sexual sin is sexual sin. We only kiss. I was only laying my hands. Dr. Rodney, yesterday in the Bible school, he, uh, yeah, you see they laugh, quickly they laugh because they know what I'm about to say. Dr. Rodney told the story of this guy and this girl, you know, they had done. Pastor Rodney said, what happened? They said, um, we, we were just sitting down watching your videos. <laughs> they, this guy and the girl were sitting together watching Pastor Rodney's videos. <laughs> How can you be watching an anointed video? How did you move from the anointing into the flesh? How? Do you know what it means to watch Pastor Rodney's video? Where people are getting smacked. Where people are getting touched. Where people are getting filled. Where people are getting set free and delivered. You could sit and watch a video like that and still go ahead, you and your girlfriend, into sin. How? Let me tell you, you shouldn't be watching that video with her in the first place. Why don't you watch the video alone? In your own house. You see, people fail to understand that sexual sin is something you run from. Not something you bind. You see, the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee. Is that correct? But when sexual sin was presented to Joseph, he was not there in the room saying, I bind you. Satan, I rebuke you. No, he ran away. He fled. Is that correct? It's deception to think that I can hang out with him and nothing will happen. We can be together and nothing will happen. Something, <laughs> when did we start putting sexual sin into departments? And unfortunately, these things are not talked about anymore in the church, for the most part, because you, 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 you can't talk about this stuff and, 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 and keep people. That's the mentality of many preachers today. If you talk about this stuff, people leave your church. If you want people to stay, you've got to be encouraging. 
But unfortunately, you are going to encourage people to hell. Paul was not beating about the bush. He said, the next time you meet, and my spirit is with you, I pass judgment. This must take place. The man that has done this must be given to Satan. That is my judgment. Paul, you are too hard. Paul, you are too strong. Yes, it had to be like that. He was not being strong necessarily against the man. He was being strong against the work of the devil. Because the devil has introduced something into the church. And if you don't deal with it, it's going to ruin the whole church. So this is not because we hate you. This is not because we judge you. This is not because we want to mess your life up. No, this is because we are fighting for your soul. We are fighting for your life. We don't want the devil to have you. Because the day is coming when some will go to heaven and some will go to hell. And I don't want you to be among those that will go to hell. Let no man deceive you. Neither fornicators nor Name them. They will not have a part in heaven. They will not have a part in the kingdom of God. The Bible actually warns Paul writing. He said, if you know a man who calls himself a Christian or who calls himself a brother, but he's involved in sexual sin and extortion, the Bible says, Paul said, don't even eat with him. Stay far away from him. You know why? Because that life is going to get on you too. We must preach purity. I, we must preach purity. You know, the thing is, when you preach a message like this, you know what other people think. They say, maybe the preacher too has a problem. That's why he's preaching that. <laughs> Honestly, you, you, the way people think is crazy. The preacher has a problem. That's why he's preaching to protect himself. I'm preaching the word of God. Because I'm preaching the word of God. It is not interesting, or is it not interesting that some of us preachers, this is our field, so let me say us preachers, because it's our calling. Some of us preachers don't like to mention things like masturbation anymore, pornography, fornication, adultery, homosexuality, lesbianism, caressing, and the like. Can you say that? There is another way to say it. No, there is no other way to say it. This is the only way to say it. Why did you come this side? You still love me. I've got a responsibility. And I believe my first and ultimate responsibility is to glorify God. 
And if I'm going to stand here and tickle your ears and tell you what you love and what you like so that you can jump around and give big offerings, when it's all said and done, I will be judged. And I'm not going to be judged for what I know is right and fail to present. But I'm sure this message is going to clean you up. This message is not coming to judge or condemn you. This mess, if, even if it's coming to judge, it's not coming to judge you. It's coming to judge sin. And we've got to judge sin. That's what Paul did. Paul had to deal with all this stuff in the church of Corinth. And that's why I'm dealing with this stuff. And you know, they say, if the shoe fit, you wear it. Is that true? Problem number four. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 to 7. Does any one of you dare, when he has a matter of complaint against another brother, to go to law against uh, before unrighteous men? Men neither upright nor right with God, lay, laying it before them, instead of before the saints, the people of God. Do you not know that the saints, the believers, will one day judge and govern the world? And if the world itself is to be judged and ruled by you, are you unworthy and incompetent to try such petty matters of the smallest courts uh, of justice? Do you not know also that we Christians are to judge the very angels and pronounce opinion between right and wrong for them? How much more then? As to matters pertaining to this world and of this life only. If then you do, uh, you do have such cases of everyday life to decide. Why do you appoint as judges to lay them before? Those who from the standpoint of the church count for least and are without standing. I say this to move you to shame. Can it be that there really is not one man among you who in, in action is governed by piety and integrity and is wise and competent enough to decide the private grievances, disputes, and quarrels between members of the brotherhood or members of the church? I'd like to stop there. Lawsuits. Lawsuits. Paul said, I say this to your shame. So, so when, you, when you guys have problems, you can't even resolve it amongst yourself. You have to take it to court. You sue your brother, your sister to court. Before ungodly judges. Is there no one among you that is, that is mature? That is wise? Who can resolve? That is spiritual enough to resolve this. Let me tell you how it works in the kingdom of God. If there is a problem between you and someone else, you go to that person alone. How do you go to that person? Alone. Between you and her. Alone. Nobody else should be involved. Is that not what Jesus said we should do? 
So if there is a problem between me and her, just an example, I, I need to go to her. I don't need to go to her. She has no business in this. But what a lot of people do is, instead of go directly to her, they go to her to tell her about what is going on. And there is no need to tell her what is going on between me and her. Because it is not between me and both of them. It is between me and her. So Jesus said, go to her privately. I want to say privately. And talk to her privately. And watch this. The Bible says if you go to her and she is still stubborn, she would not resolve it. That is what I have heard. That is what I have seen. People will come to you and they try to resolve the issue, but you are in your pride. You don't want to resolve it. I don't want to talk about this now. I don't feel like talking about Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are not to talk about it? What's wrong with you? Look at me. What's wrong with you? I don't feel like this. I don't feel like that. You think Jesus felt like that? Do you think Jesus felt like for like that? You, when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, let this cup pass over me. The little girl is laughing in the back. I don't feel like this. I don't want to talk about this now. Uh, uh, my, my feeling is still hurt. Babies. Fighting over toys in the kids room. <laughs> no, Jesus said when your brother comes to you and talks to you, you Listen, and you get that thing sorted out. You both must sort it out. Now, if it is not sorted out because the, the sister or the brother is stubborn and they want to deal with it, I don't want to talk about it, I don't feel like it now, whining and, and say, then, okay, here's the next thing to do. Everyone said the next thing to do. Next thing to do, then I go to the sister. Now, when I go to the sister, I must go to a sister or a brother who is spiritually mature. I can't just go to any sister at random. Hey, sister. Hey, brother. Uh, you see what? Because if I go to the wrong brother or the wrong sister, they're going to put kerosene on the fire. Do you understand what I mean by that? I need to go to someone who is spiritually mature. That is why I believe it's, it's Galatians 6 where it says if your brother is overtaking in a fault, you that is spiritual, you that is spiritual, not you that is carnal, you that is spiritual, restore such a person in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So I go to somebody who is spiritual. Who is a spiritual person based on what I've been teaching now? Is it somebody who, la pata, la bahato, brakito, no, ooh, fire, fire, fire. Is that a spiritual person? No, the Bible does not say that's a spiritual person. The Bible says a spiritual person is somebody that has developed the character of Jesus Christ. 
love, joy, peace, patience, self-control. So when they come into the situation, they have self-control. When they come into the situation, the system may, may manifest again. They need to be able to control themselves and walk in love. Are you listening to me? Pastor Rose taught me something many years ago, and I, I can never forget it. She said, Pastor Godwell, before you correct somebody, ask yourself the question, can you die for them? Because we are so to correct. Hey, sister, you are wrong. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you love them enough to die for them? That's when you qualify to correct them. Because if you love them that much, you will correct them out of love. But if you don't love them that much, you correct them out of a judgmental heart. And how I many of you know that God sees your heart? They may not see it. You may fake it, but God sees it. And I've never, for, I've never forgotten when Pastor Rose told me that years ago. Before you correct somebody, ask yourself the question, can you die for them? Do you love them that much? Because if you do, your correction will come out of love and they would know it that you love them. Come on now. We are quick to run our mouth. We're quick to talk. We're quick to, the Bible says be quick to hear but be slow to speak. So I need to get somebody who is spiritual enough. Who knows the word? Who has self-control? Who has love? Who has patience? Come on now, say amen. amen. That's the kind of person I need to get. I don't need to get somebody who's going to cause more trouble. So when I get somebody else to go with me, we both go to the sister. Now you see, I've not told anyone else. I've just told one person. And I told this one person because she didn't listen to me the first time I went. So it would be absolutely wrong for me to go tell somebody when I've not talked to her personally. That is where we, people get it wrong. That is where they, they throw more kerosene on the fire. That is where, see the Bible talks about those who are busy spreading evil among the body of Christ. They cause division. And some people say, Pastor, the reason why I told Mr. B is because I wanted him to help us. Or I wanted to get his advice. Listen, if he has no business in the issue, there is no need to tell him. Some of the people you tell can't even solve it. Have you noticed that some of the people you tell, they, 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 they poke you and they put more fire in you? Oh, really? She said that. What kind of a Christian? And she's on the worship team. <laughs> yeah. Hope I'm not talking to you. Uh, <laughs> really? He said that? And he calls himself a pastor. Oh, yeah. You think we don't know you talk about us too? And he, you, he calls himself a pastor? No, you'd be a naive pastor to think people in the church don't talk behind your back. I'm not that naive. I'm not naive. I know. Look me in the face. Ha, 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 pastor, I love you. You, I still love you whether you talk behind my back or you don't talk. <laughs> I just have to love you. I, I can't help it. I have got to love you. I've got to. I can't help it. I have to love you. Because if I don't love you, I'm not going to heaven. If I don't love you, my prayers will not be answered. 
If I don't love you, I cannot flow in the spirit. If I don't love you, I'm going to open up myself to the devil. I have to love you. I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for myself. Come on now, say amen. amen. So next time you're about to say anything behind my back, remember I love you. <laughs> Hallelujah. So I take a mature believer and I go to her again with the help of a mature believer. Mature believer is one who has developed the things, the fruit of the spirit, right? For the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering. Go read that in Galatians 5.22, right? You read all of that. That is the character of Christ. Christ had all these things in him. That is what we must develop. So I take someone like that and we go to the person and we talk again. Now, we go, we discuss, and she's helping me, you know. Trying to show her, because now she's the one that says, I don't want to deal with this, right? I am willing to deal with it, but she's not. So we go to her again, and we try to talk to her. And guess what? At the end, she says, you guys leave me alone. I'm not interested. He hurt me so much, I'm not going to forgive. Hey, hey, sister, what did I do? <laughs> let's, let's, <laughs> let's fix this. Please, please. I'm on my knees. Let's fix it. And let's fix it. Listen to me. Listen. It's not hard to say I'm sorry. I say it's not hard to say I am sorry. You see those words, I am sorry, those three words will help you. And some of you have not, never said I'm sorry. You, learn, you need to learn how to say I am sorry. I, I think it, a lot of times the problem is we try to claim we are right. But you see, if we don't try to claim we are right and just say we're sorry, it will diffuse the problem. Just say, I'm sorry. Oh, but I'm not the one guilty. It don't matter. Jesus was not guilty, but he came for you. Just say, I'm sorry. Turn to your neighbor, say, I'm sorry. Begin to practice. Begin to practice. Begin to practice. Say, I'm sorry. <laughs> Husbands and wives. If you get nothing out of this message, get this. Learn to say, I am sorry. Just learn to say, I'm sorry. It won't kill you. It won't take any, anything from you. It won't rob you of your dignity. In actual fact, when you learn to say, I'm sorry, you may not, you may not seem to, it may not seem as if you're gaining any reward at the moment. But in, in the long run, watch what's going to happen. It's beneficial. 51 years. <laughs> 51 years, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, 51 years. You have to say I'm sorry. You heard Pastor Layla say it last week, last week. You work it out. Marriages don't fall from the tree. And there is no marriage made in heaven. You work it out. And one of the ways to work it out is just to say, uh, look, I'm sorry, please, I'm sorry, please, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'm sorry. Please, I'm sorry. And if you just keep saying I'm sorry, you'll be good. The problem is we try to ignore. I'm not sorry. What did I even say to you? What did I even do to you? Huh? You're getting in your flesh again? 
Huh? And you know, when you speak like that, you ignite the fire. It's in marriage, it's in friendship. Don't speak like that. What did I do? What did I say? Here you are again. When are you going to change? When are you going to You, you. When are you going to change? And we discovered, Pastor, you can't change your spouse. They taught me that well. When I would run to them. First year. <laughs> they said that to me many times. Don't try. Pastor Hamdi said to me in the office, you change, she will change. Don't try to change her. We always say, change, change. And those of you that are not married, prepare. Get ready. No, get ready because this thing is not, oh, when I, see, marriage is, it's a lot of work. I'm going to finish with this. Next week, I'll continue. I'll continue because of time. But no, marriage is a lot of work. Amen. Relationships require that you work hard on it. Amen. And so, get back to this thing. So, she's helping us, but she's not accepting my apology. She's doing everything she can. She's pleading. She's using scriptures. She's hugging her. She's showing love. But she says no. You know, some people are like that. So what what's the next step to take? Now I have to go to the church. You see, the third step is when I take you to the church. Until I've done the first and the second, I have no business taking you to the leadership. But some people just run straight. Pastor. And when they come to me, I ask them, have you gone to them? Who, like, why, why are you coming to me? Who, like, who made me a, a judge over you? Remember, that was the thing they asked Moses. Who made me a judge? Well, why are you coming to me? Go to him. Have you guys not learned enough to know what to do? Why are you coming to me? And you know what I've discovered? When you step in as a leader, when you step into that situation, that moment, you become the problem. They attack you. I did that many years ago. I was pulling a dog by his ear. The dog began to bite me. I learned my lesson big time. So when he don't come to me, Pastor, this one did this. This one said that to me. What did you do? Have you gone to them? You go to them. Go to them. You go talk to them. That's how it's done. Can someone say amen? And so now, because we have done the first two levels and we've not been able to resolve it, that's when I take it to the leadership. Now, the leadership will come into the situation knowing that I've done the first two steps. Now, when the leadership comes in and the person still insists, not you, you're a sweet lady, you will not even, you will not even, fi you will not even fight with anybody. Um, and, and the person insists that, no, I will not forgive. The Bible says, then and only then should the church consider that person as a heathen. From that moment, we take our hands off. This person is now a heathen. Whatever they do with God will not work. 
hear what I just said. Their prayers will never be answered. Until they resolve it, they are not moving forward. The church has exercised God's divine authority over them. God's divine judgment over them. And they can't move forward. They're going to be stuck for the rest of their lives until they deal with it. So we need to know how this thing works. Can someone say amen? amen. If there's anything that has happened between you and somebody in the church, you go to them directly. And listen, I'm not going to stand here and tell you it will not happen again. The church is a perfect church. But people are in the process. Did you hear what I just said? The house of God is a perfect place, but the people are a work in progress. Learn to show grace. Learn to show mercy to people. And if you are merciful, you shall receive mercy. Can someone shout praise God? Amen.